Good morning, City Light. All right. Well, I kind of coughed at first, too, so I'll try again. Good morning, City Light. All right. I like that. Uh, Man, it's a good morning. Thank you for getting up and driving in to worship Jesus today. This morning's going to be fun because it is Missions Sunday. This is something we do every fall. Since we started City Light Church, we've taken one Sunday each year to focus on and celebrate international missions. We just take a look at what God is doing, the efforts of God's people to take his good news from here to the ends of the earth so that everybody can hear it. Uh, And so we're going to focus on that today. I'm getting excited right from the beginning, okay? I get fired up about this stuff. Um, Our church kind of carries this torch of mission. We live out this identity as uh, missionaries sent by God into the world as part of a tribe of churches, part of a family. And our church family has been sending missionaries to the ends of the earth for over a hundred years. Our tribe sends missionaries to the places in this world where the fewest people know Jesus. And then those missionaries strive and work to see churches planted so that generations of people to come will hear the gospel good news of Jesus Christ. They're doing things in places that we could not do or go. And so it's super fun to be part of a larger family. So that means that the mission that we say is our mission statement, remember it? Uh, to multiply disciples and churches. I almost forgot it too. To multiply disciples and churches, that's our mission. That mission did not start with us. It was going long before we came on the scene. This This missions movement started well before City Light ever came about. In fact, this missions movement traces its roots all the way back to the book of Acts. And so this morning, I want to take a look at Acts and see where did this missions movement start? What did it look like? How did it begin and get off the ground? And then how does that still shape us today? That's where we're going here on Missions Sunday. So let's dive in. So far in the book of Acts, we've been walking through um, this book. We'll continue to do it this fall. We've seen that the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ started out as a pretty local effort. It was pretty focused in the beginning. So if you'll remember, um, one of Jesus' friends named Peter, after Jesus died and rose again, Peter gave a sermon uh, at, on a day that we call Pentecost, right? There were uh, flaming tongues of fire and speaking in tongues, and a whole bunch of people got saved and gave their lives to Jesus that day. The audience that Peter preached to was primarily Jews. And then you remember, not long after that, Peter and John looked to a lame beggar and they said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And you remember what he did? He stood up and he walked and then he was walking and leaping and jumping and praising God for everybody to see. Do you remember where they were? They were outside the gates of the temple and then he was jumping around inside the temple. In the very beginning, the spread of the gospel was focused or centered on um, the Jewish community, primarily. But it didn't take long uh, for that to change. This mission movement didn't stay put uh, for much time. We see shortly after those initial experiences, 
that there are glimpses of God's greater plan. God's doing something bigger than what they expected him to do. We see that a man who was left out and cut off got welcomed into the family of God when Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch on the side of the desert road. Uh, Later, we see Peter baptize a Roman centurion and his whole household. But that didn't happen until God had given him this mighty vision that was repeated three times. Don't call something unclean uh, that I have called clean. And so Peter, it took this mighty vision of God to move his, by no means would I ever do something like that to someone like that. Uh, And then there was a vision and Peter's by no means changed into a, okay God, by all means, I'll go wherever you send me and do whatever you call me to do with anybody who you send me to, right? It's by no means to a by all means. And we get the idea as we read early in Acts that God's people are wondering, God, what are you doing? They just don't see it yet because they had these, uh, these ideas, these things that they knew that they knew that they knew. One of them was that Israel or the Jews, they were God's chosen people that he would use to make himself known to all of the other nations. Israel was God's chosen people. And they also knew that God said he would send a savior and that savior would save his people from their sins and make them right with God again. And so if you take these two things that they knew and put them together, the Jews thought, man, God is going to send his Savior to save Israel only. But they were wrong. And they began to wonder, are we wrong? Are we getting this right? When they saw that man, a eunuch from Ethiopia and a centurion from Caesarea, they're getting saved too. Man, God, what are you doing? They just didn't understand it. They couldn't comprehend it. They couldn't figure it out. And so uh, here's how Peter, after the centurion got saved and the Holy Spirit fell even on Gentiles, here's how Peter processed it with his uh, fellow believers, these people who were wondering, God, what are you doing? Acts chapter 10. And the believers from among the circumcised... That's followers of Jesus, believers uh, who are among the circumcised. That's Jews, so Jewish believers. The believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. They were amazed. Now that word amazed in the Greek, it means to be thrown out of position or displaced. They were in one place and they got moved to another place. They had to step out of that place into another one. They were amazed at what God was doing. See, they thought that God was on a particular track. He was doing one sort of thing. He came to save Israel. And yet then these people who weren't from Israel, they started getting saved too. It seemed like God was on a different track because He was on a different track, and it threw the early believers out of position. They didn't understand it. They didn't comprehend it. They wondered, God, what are you doing? They were amazed. I think sometimes today, we find ourselves in the same place. We ask this question, God, what are you doing? We think he ought to be on one track, but when we look around, we find out he's 
on a different track, and we wonder, man, are we out of place? God, what are you doing? It sounds a little different for us today than it did for them back then. I think today the questions might sound like this. Why are we planting churches and supporting missionaries? We're a young church plant that's just getting started. Man, we've still got a lot of stuff to sort out right here. We've still got a lot of people to reach right here. Didn't we plant this church to reach the 60,000 people in and around Council Bluffs that don't know Jesus? Man, doesn't church planting just distract from all of that? Doesn't sending our resources overseas to support missionaries who are doing work with people that we'll, we'll never see, doesn't that just dilute what we could do right here? God, what are you doing? Why are you going there, I think we find ourselves asking the same question. Uh, like those early Christians, I think we get caught up in the fact that God's plan includes us, and we begin to think that God's plan centers on us. You see the difference? I think we get confused. God's plan does include us, and we should celebrate that. God loves Council Bluffs. He put us here for a reason. We ought to be on mission to Council Bluffs. It absolutely includes us, but it doesn't center on us. God's plan includes us, but it's bigger than us. Amen? This is what the early Christians discovered. God's plan included them, but it was bigger than them too. This is what Dan read for us earlier. When Peter got back from seeing the centurion um, and, and preaching the gospel to him, he was telling all of his friends all about what happened. Man, I had this vision, and then I went with them, and then I preached the gospel, and then they got baptized, and then they got filled with the Holy Spirit, and all this stuff was happening, and everybody's wondering, God, what are you doing? What's going on? And this is how Peter processed it with his friends. And I remembered the word of the Lord, that's Jesus. I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, Peter says, who was I that I could stand in God's way? If God was going to give them the same thing that he gave to us, who am I to stand in God's way? I must be on the wrong track, right? After he said that, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. See what happened there this is what it looked like. Peter remembered what Jesus had said. John baptized with water, but I'm going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. You will know that it's me. You'll know that you are one of my people when I give you the Holy Spirit. Peter remembered Jesus himself had said that. And then they looked at the evidence of what was going on in the world, and they saw, man, it's not just us that are getting filled with the Holy Spirit. But Ethiopian eunuch got baptized. The centurion from Caesarea, a Roman guy, he got baptized. There are other people that are getting filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter said, if Jesus said this, and Jesus is doing this, then I must need to move from the track I'm on to a different track. When that clicked... For them, the early believers went from asking the question, God, what are you doing, to making the declaration, God, I see what you're doing. Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. God, I see what you're doing. 
I'm bought in. I know where you're going. I thought you were headed down this path, but you're over here, and so I'm going to run with you over here. God, I see what you're doing. They said Jesus' plan included them, but it was bigger than them. Jesus was multiplying disciples of all peoples in all places. Jesus was sending them to Jerusalem and Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth for a reason, for a purpose, because he was saving all kinds of people in all kinds of places. The gospel was going to the ends of the earth. They said, God, I see what you're doing. And man, when they saw that, when that clicked in the hearts and the minds and the spirits of the new believers, two, well, a lot changed. But I want to look at two big changes this morning, okay? Here they are. Churches were planted in new places, and missionaries were sent to new places. So when the early church moved from, God, what are you doing, to God, I see what you're doing, they planted churches in new places, and they sent missionaries to new places. Don't just take my word for it. Let's look at it in the Bible, okay? Guided by the new clarity about what God is doing, these early Christians began to see things differently. Now, they caught wind that some of their friends, some fellow Christians, made their way up to a town called Antioch. Antioch was in Syria, north of Israel, okay? Sorry, I'm going to start smacking here pretty soon. Uh, Antioch was north of Israel, and so some of their friends made it up that way, and these particular people, they weren't particular about uh, who they talked to Jesus about. They started just talking to Jesus to everybody, talking about Jesus to everybody that they met. So they were kind of unique. They were ahead of the curve. And here's what the Bible says about the early church's response to this news that there were people sharing the gospel with non-Jews up in Antioch. Acts chapter 11. And the hand of the Lord was with them, the people in Antioch. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Okay? So a bunch of people started believing in Jesus. They're not Jews. They're in Syria, not Israel. They're 300 miles between Antioch and Jerusalem. There's all kinds of reasons God should not be moving there, but he is moving there. The Bible tells us he's moving there because a great number of people turned to the Lord. And so the question is, how does the early church respond when they see God on the move in a place they didn't expect God to move? The Bible says, now that they saw, God, I see what you're doing, they looked at this gathering of new believers and they saw the beginnings of a new church. They didn't say that's somebody else, somewhere else, we'll just let them be. They saw what God was doing and they said, we want in. And so they sent leaders like Barnabas. Man, if those guys are new, they're going to need people who know what's going on. We're going to send Barnabas up there. We'll send resources. We'll give support. We don't want to stand in the way of what God is doing. We want to put fuel on the fire of what God is doing. That's international church planting. It's the very roots of the legacy that we're walking in today. They sent and they served and they supported a new church plant. When they went from, God, what are you doing, to, God, I see what you're doing, a thriving church took root in Antioch in Syria. They planted churches in new places. They also sent missionaries to new places. Um, this is what it is. All right, bear with me, all right? You got to stick with me. I'm telling you a story right now, and I got a point to make, okay? So don't check out yet. 
I see some people glazing over, okay? Don't do it on me. Stick with me. They planted churches in new places, and they sent missionaries to new places. Here's number two. While they, the Antioch church, uh, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This new church sent out their best leaders. Now I want to tell you about this church. It was about two years old. Anybody know how old our church is right here? Two years old. We just turned two in August. And so this church in Antioch in Syria is about two years old at this time. That means that when this happened, when they sent out, uh, when they started, okay, when Antioch, the church in uh, Antioch started, they were the new mission field. They were the ones that the other church sent resources to and sent leaders to and sent support to so that they might be built up. When they started, they were the receivers. But you see what happens here two years later? The receivers become the senders. They're worshiping and praying. They're fasting. They're listening. And the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And this new church, they saw what God was doing. They saw that the mission included them, the people in Antioch, but it was bigger than them. God was taking ground for his kingdom to the ends of the earth. And so as they're fasting and praying, they hear from the Lord, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul to the work to which I've called them. And they knew what that meant. They knew they were going to send out their best leaders to take the gospel to places that it had not yet gone. You see what's going on here? They sent missionaries to new places. These are the first sparks of the fiery mission torch that we still carry today. This is the initial identity, the legacy that we get to step into, that we're responsible for today. This two-year-old church said, God's plan includes us, but it's bigger than us. And so we'll send our best to places we'll never go and people we'll never meet so that they can meet the God that we know who saved us. It's an identity and we get to live into it. And man, I can't wait to see how God's gonna move among our church to send people to the nations. And so these early missionaries, let me tell you what they did. They crossed a part of the sea and landed on an island and they traversed that whole island and then they crossed the sea again and landed in a new place and they saw mountains there. And so they climbed the mountains and beyond the mountains they went to other places and got stoned and continued to endure. And then they went all the way back to where they'd come from. It was a missionary journey. And if you heard me describe that and think they climbed a mountain and got stoned and thought about going to Denver, you're on a different track than me, okay? <laughs> That's not what I meant they didn't ride up a steep but paved mountain road to get stoned recreationally, right? They climbed an actual mountain, hiked up it, and beyond that, there was an attack on their lives. People literally throwing stones at them, trying to kill them. They endured it all so the people who didn't know Jesus might hear about him. That's missions to people who don't know Jesus and don't know that they need to know Jesus. Man, that's the sparks of the torch that we still get to carry today. And I get excited about that. I get excited that we're not pioneering something new, but we're stepping into something that God has been doing for centuries and centuries, for thousands of years. That's who we are. It's who we are. It didn't start with us. 
And so City Light, let me bring this home a little bit. We stand in a long line of churches that have taken seriously Jesus' call, his mission to multiply disciples in churches. We often say it like this. If, if our uh, church were like a basketball team and we wore jerseys, the name on the front of the jersey would be Jesus. He's the one that gets the glory. He's the one that leads us. He's the one that calls the shots. Jesus is A, number one, always, often. We never graduate from that. Jesus gets the front. We will always be on his team. That's who we are. And we don't often talk about the name on the back, right? Our family name. And our family doesn't even want us to talk about the name on the back very often because they want Jesus to get all the glory. It's just how it works on a team. The name on the front is more important than the name on the back. But there is a name on the back. And so we don't talk about it often, but I want to tell you about it today. We're part of a family and a tribe, and it's got a name. It's called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And the reason that we love being part of a tribe like the Christian Missionary Alliance is because we get to lock arms with other people who are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Let me tell you just a little bit about this family. Some of you are numbers people, and you'll like to hear this. The Christian Missionary Alliance in the United States currently has more than 700 missionaries sent and serving in 70 countries around the world. 700 missionaries in 70 countries. But that's not the CMA doesn't just operate in the United States. It's a worldwide family. And so let me tell you about what's going on worldwide. We currently have over 30,000 churches in over 80 countries with more than 5 million people that worship together every week. 30,000, 80 countries, 5 million people. If you do a little simple math, the CMA has been around for 130 years. And so we can calculate... On average, our family worldwide sees 230 churches planted and 38,000 people reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. 230 churches planted, 38,000 people every year, year after year for 130 years. That's not bad, folks, okay? That's pretty good. We're locking arms with people who are doing what God's called us to do. That's the big picture. But let me tell you how it works out right here in Council Bluffs, our church. How do we carry the torch? Um, we support at our church three international missions efforts. The first one, first, one of them is uh, led by Ken and Rochelle Johnson. These guys and their family were part of our church uh, in the core team season. So like before people even knew who we were, they were helping us get off the ground. And then not long after we launched, they launched and they went to Japan, where Ken is from, and they've been telling people about Jesus there uh, for as long as we've been telling people about Jesus here. And so they come back every once in a while and give us a, an update of what God is doing in the land of the rising sun, and he's doing a lot. We love these guys. It's awesome. We support the Johnsons in Japan. We also support Imana Kids. This is an orphan care ministry in Rwanda, Africa. They sponsor about 150 orphans. That means those kids have food to eat, clothes to wear, schools to attend, and adults that love them in their lives, all because they have sponsors through Mana Kids. Many of those sponsors are sitting right here in this room. Um, one exciting thing that Mana Kids is doing, next year they're going to break ground on uh, a thing called Hope Village. The village will be home to uh, a school, a clinic, a community of houses that will um, uh, be used for foster families, and a church. And since 
City Light's been partnering with Amana Kids. We get to take the lead on planting the church in Rwanda. So next year, there will be like City Light Bugacera in Rwanda, Africa. It's pretty awesome. We love Imana Kids and what they're doing over there. But number three is probably the effort that you know the least about, we've talked the least about, and I want to introduce you to them today. Um, Doug talked about them a little bit last week. It's Daniel and Miriam Hutton. They are part of our tribe serving in the Arab lands of the Middle East. Miriam um, is a really sweet gal whose heart is to disciple young Arab women. She's literally talking to girls who've never known Jesus, showing them who he is and letting them know they've got a father that loves them, even if they live in a land where women are not loved and valued and cherished. It's incredible. And Daniel, her husband, is a super brilliant guy who's teaching at a school of theology. That school of theology is training up young Arab men to go back to the lands and countries that they come from to plant churches. Now that means if you wanted to visit the Johnsons in Japan, we could pick, uh, we, could, we could buy you a ticket right now. If you wanted to go hug the orphans in Rwanda, we could sign you up for the trip that's going next summer. But if you wanted to visit the churches that are being planted by Daniel's students in the Middle East, you'd have to think twice. Because Most of those countries are closed to the gospel. If they knew what you were doing, they would not let you in. And most of the families of these church planters disown them as soon as they find out who they've become and what they're doing. These people lose and risk so much putting their lives on the line to take the gospel to places where you and I can't go. It's one of the biggest blessings of being part of a tribe. We get to partner with people who are doing things we can't do and going places we can't go so that more people would hear the gospel good news of Jesus Christ. And so I want to give you a a little insight into the Hutton's lives. I've been reading their updates the last several months. And so one of them reminded me that, man, life in the Arab lands isn't all that different from life here in the States. The ministry they do isn't all that different from the ministry that we do. Um, There was a young adults conference that Daniel got to lead, and about 40 young people from 18 to 30 showed up, and he uh, picked the theme, it's complicated, evaluating your relationship with God, okay? So for three days, he just talked about, man, why is your relationship with God complicated? What are those complications? We want to address them. We want to encourage you. We want to teach you from Scripture so that you can move from, God, it's complicated between me and you, to in a relationship with Jesus, And I thought that was pretty sweet. They got the same relationship statuses that we do, okay? So maybe Daniel needs to come here and give us that talk because sometimes I think it's pretty complicated. Um, But he he sorted out with those guys in, uh, in the Middle East. It's incredible what he's doing. I also read an update where I felt like, man, there are differences between what's going on here and what's going on over there. The differences are real. Um, Here's an excerpt from one of his updates that I got about a month ago. Good morning, praying friends. Today is the baptism service for the Alliance National Church. This evening, all the Alliance churches from throughout our region will be meeting together to celebrate in the baptisms of over 20 people who've committed their lives to Christ. 20 people in the Middle East 
gave their lives to Jesus because Daniel and his team are teaching people about Jesus over there. This is incredible. In the Muslim-dominated area of the world, people are meeting Jesus. 20 of them got baptized last month. Somebody's excited back there. 20 people. And then he goes on. As you may know, for some of these people, baptism means facing difficult times ahead. Their public profession of faith will lead to persecution, breaking of family and religious ties, and other hardships. Please, this morning, as you wake and gather together in your churches, pray for these believers. Here's the prayers he asks for. Pray that they would be strong and courageous as Joshua. Pray that they would be humble and God-seeking as David. That they would be filled with the Holy Spirit, and their lives would show evidence of the transformative power of Jesus Christ. And pray that God would use these new believers, I love this part, to multiply the spread of his gospel and the power of his kingdom in our region. Sounds like the same thing we're doing here, right? Pray for these guys. 20 people gave their lives to Jesus Christ. 20 former Muslims gave their lives to Jesus. In a land where there is no life, they went from death to life in Jesus Christ. In a land where there is no light, they went from darkness to walking in the light of Jesus Christ. 20 people now have their eternal future bound up in paradise with Jesus Christ. If that doesn't get you fired up, I don't know what will. Didn't... Daniel's on the move. God's moving through them in the Arab lands. And you read that, you got to get excited. And then you read that, and you got to hit your knees. Because these people have left their families, literally cut ties, saying, I'll probably never get to talk to you again. And they've cut ties with their religious institutions and their friends. It'd be like you saying, I will never come back here and see any of you ever again. They've lost connection and friendship and community. They've lost that. They've lost their family and they're at risk of losing so much more. Their jobs, their reputations, even their lives. And so Daniel says, man, would you pray? These guys need a family and they need friends who will pray for them even if they're family and friends that they may never meet on this world. They say, would you pray? That the Holy Spirit who empowered the early church to move beyond their little pocket into the ends of the earth, would you pray that that same Holy Spirit would work in these 20? Man, if Jesus changed the world with 12, he's saying, would you pray that he would do the same thing with these 20? Daniel saw that the mission of God includes those 20, but it's bigger than them too. And so he prayed, man, would you pray that God gives them strength and courage and humility so that, go, so that the gospel goes to the ends of the earth. Man, it's an honor to get a partner in mission with people like Daniel and Miriam. It's an honor to be part of this tribe. And so City Light, I want to end this way. In Acts, we see the people of God begin with the question, God, what are you doing? And then they move to the to the statement, the declaration, God, I see what you're doing, but they didn't stop there. Look at, what, uh, look at what the Bible says about Paul's return from the missionary journey. From there, they sailed to Antioch. They made it home, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. When they got back, they declared all that God had done with them. You know what that means? 
It means when they were sent off and sent out, they left their church, but they went with God. God was with them to the ends of the earth. And so they moved from, God, what are you doing? To, God, I see what you're doing. And they landed on, God, I will join with what you're doing. And I just want to say, can we be that kind of people? We'd be a people who say, God, I will join with what you're doing. What does that look like? I think maybe for some of us, joining with what God is doing looks like reckoning with the reality that his plan includes you. It includes you. Jesus lived and died and rose again. God granted repentance that leads to life to you. And if you hear us talk about church planting and missions and you think his news is for somebody else, somewhere else, and not for you, then you've missed it. I I did a disservice if you could walk out thinking it's not for you. God's mission, his gospel, his good news, his invitation to salvation, his forgiveness of sins, his promise of life beyond the grave and hope for eternity, it is for you. And so for some of you, who are wondering, man, how would I join in with what God is doing? It's reckoning with the reality that he wants you. Oh, would you turn to him today? Would you give your life to Jesus today? That's why we're here. That's the mission that we're on, to multiply disciples, people who know Jesus Christ. If you've never known him, would you turn to him today? That'd be the perfect way to say, I'll join with you, Jesus. But for others of you, I think joining with Jesus can look like all kinds of things. For some, it's going to be, man, I just commit to pray for missionaries who are out in the field, who are far from us, among people we don't know and we'll never meet. I'm saying even if you don't have like a thriving prayer life, you don't know what a prayer warrior is and you've never entered a prayer closet, right? Like all that Christian stuff doesn't make any sense to you. Maybe the way that you start praying today is, uh, I don't know what should be on the list. I'm going to put these missionaries on the list. I will pray for the Johnsons and Imana kids and the Huttons regularly. That's what they're asking for. They get support. What they want is your prayers. Would you join with them? For some of you, joining with God looks like I'm actually going to hit my knees and clasp my hands and pray that God would give them grace as they're preaching the good news in places I'll never go. For others, maybe you just feel like, man, God has given me resources and I should financially support these guys. They need it. They long for it. They want your prayers, but they need our financial support. Maybe for some of you, it's, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually support these guys. Maybe for others, you feel like I might be the one who's being called to be sent. I might be being called to go. That may look like a bunch of different things. Maybe it's just visiting the Johnsons in Japan or the kids in Rwanda. Or maybe God is actually calling somebody here today to commit to a lifetime of service in a place you've never been. I I actually believe God still does this kind of thing. In the book of Acts, you remember how Paul and Barnabas realized they they were being sent? The church was worshiping and praying and fasting. And as they were worshiping and praying, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. It was in a gathering like this when they were worshiping God and praying that God said, set apart for me these people because I got work for them to do. I wonder, is God saying that to somebody today? Set apart for me these people so that we can send you out. If that's you, now would you do business with Jesus? Would you say, yes, you'll go? 
Man, it's a high calling, it's a high sacrifice, and you will know no greater joy than being on track with Jesus where he's going, okay? City Life, the early church realized that the mission of God included them, but it was bigger than them. They went from, God, what are you doing, to I see what you're doing, to God, I will join with what you're doing. Oh, it's my prayer that we would be a church like that, amen? Let's pray. Awesome God, man, I thank you for all that you've done. I thank you that who you were is who you are. And so we can read a passage like this in Acts and see that the mission that you've called us to is not new. It's a mission that you've been about for hundreds and hundreds, a couple thousand years. Man, God, I pray that the stories of Paul and Barnabas of the church in Antioch would be stories that are told here, stories that are written here. God, would you call people to join in with what you're doing, people who've never known you, to say, yes, I want you, Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop living for myself, living for the world. I'm going to stop trying to do this on my own. I want you. If you are the Savior that the Bible says that you are, that all these people say that you are, and God, I need that Savior. Man, if that's you, would you turn to Jesus today? God, I thank you that you still call people out of death and into life. And God, it's my prayer, I've just been praying all week, that if you called people to be set apart and sent off back then, you still do that today. And so I don't know who you're calling. I don't know who you're setting apart and sending off from here, but God, I pray that you would do it. Pray that we would be a church that's not satisfied just to, to celebrate what's, what you're doing in these walls. God, that we, would, that we would rejoice in what you're doing here, but that we would reckon that your mission is bigger than us and that we would celebrate getting to send our best out. God, would you call somebody even today? And if that's you, we're gonna have people in the back praying during uh, the next couple songs, during communion. Um, would you just go back and pray with somebody? Put it on the table. Um, maybe, maybe you're wrong. Maybe God's not calling you. Maybe you're right. And if you are, we want to support that. So God, I thank you that you're still calling. Would you call from here? Would the, would the fiery torch of missions burn brightly, even from Council Bluffs, a place that everybody wondered, why would God ever move there? And yet you did. God, would you do even more amazing things? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.